Why didn't you tell me? You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of Force Time. My name is Travis, and today I have a special guest with me, Brandon Lee. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back. Today is part two of a five-part series where I'm welcoming guests to the show to discuss eight stories and from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. For those of you unfamiliar with this book, it is a collection of short stories told from different characters' points of view throughout Empire Strikes Back, including the Wampa, the Emperor, and even the cave on Dagobah. The first From a Certain Point of View book was released a couple years ago celebrating the 40th anniversary of A New Hope, so it was so cool that we got another one of these celebrating the Empire's 40th this year. Another great thing about this book is that all the proceeds from the sales go to First Book, which is a leading nonprofit that provides new books, learning materials, and other essentials to educators and children in need. So if you haven't picked it up yet, definitely pick it up. You're more than welcome to stay with us for this conversation, but it probably makes a lot more sense if you've read the book. So go check that book out. It's a, it's a great, great gift, especially this time of year to just one of those good ones to have on your nightstand before you go to bed. So Today's guest, Brandon, joined the show back in August to discuss his Star Wars fandom story and his incredible Star Wars hat collection. That was back on episode 18 of Force Time, which feels like two years ago, but definitely check that interview out because we had a lot of fun with with that first discussion. But before we get started, Brandon, how are you feeling? This season two of The Mandalorian wrapped up last week. Are you you doing okay? Because I'm still kind of struggling. (laughs) I am doing i'm recovering i'm recovering um i think i you know part of part of the thing about the 2 a.m central time episode release is such that you know i it's almost like i watch it one time for my sort of technical watching of star wars and then i watch it a second time or a third time to actually take it all in and so it was it was the second viewing and the third viewing that really sort of where it hit me. And that I I think this the season just ended in such an incredible way and I can't wait to see four different directions <laughs> that this is gonna go. Yeah, it's uh it's gonna be insane to see where it goes, especially with Book of Boba Fett being next December and then the Mandalorian season three coming after that. And yeah, I was I was the same way. That first watch, I always just watch it to watch it so I, I i go in like i'm unspoiled completely and then that way i can get it out of the way that way i don't have to worry about the rest of the day but then you're right that second and third i because my first viewing I, I didn't quite know how i felt about everything sure sure and but i think it was just because i didn't i have the mental capacity to <laughs> to figure out what's going on at 6 a.m when i watched it but yeah it was uh it's gonna take a while to get over that ending though because it's uh, yeah it was it was bittersweet and it felt like the end of the Mandalorian, but I know it's not, but it felt that way. And so it's going to be interesting to see if we get that re reunion between Grogu and Din eventually 
But, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Could I could I go into spoilers? Real? Could I? Yeah. Are, yeah. Let's let's. Uh, here's your spoiler warning. Uh, <laughs> skip ahead about maybe one or two minutes. Yeah. You have not watched the Mandalorian season finale, but yes, <laughs> hit him so, hit him with the spoilers. So I really feel like the the Disney era of Star Wars has tapped into like Leia as the sort of connecting cameo outside of the movies, right? So I mean, of course her appearance in Rogue One, right? But I feel like whether it's Resistance or whether it's been Rebels or whether it's been some of the, the novels, it's Leia has been the connector between the original trilogy and now, and it hasn't necessarily been Luke. Han got Han got a movie, right? Han got a movie, so that's fine. But th- this really feels like Luke's first foray as as a as a cameo as a as a connector between what's happening now and and the original trilogy so i i thought that was cool and i thought it was kind of a a nice way to and a nice way to bring him in and it's also a very you know like i want to see that story for him somehow you know i want to see the story between who he is uh you know wasting the dark troopers up to the end of the last Jedi. That's what I want now. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of story. I, I, coming into the last Jedi, I think they're actually not even the last Jedi. Coming into the Force Awakens, I think there were so many people that were huge Luke fans that that's what they, they wanted to see him be this like badass Jedi that just took name, you know, just did all that stuff. Which and I, I've talked about before. Like I didn't need that, and I didn't expect it from Luke. 30 years later, I, I didn't think we were going to get that. But now I think a lot of people can like take a breath and be like, okay, like now that I've seen that, it feels like he did that. So, you know, I, I can use my imagination, but now I've seen it. And yeah, it's, it is that very interesting arc from Return of the Jedi to The Last Jedi. There's a lot. I'd, I'd love to see like an animated series or something like that yeah. to, to kind of fill that in. I think that'd be a really cool way to go. Also time for me to revisit the uh, Legends of Luke Skywalker book. Yes. Um, now would be a good time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. No, that's a, that is definitely another great one. But let's go ahead. Let's get started. So here's how it's going to work. And this is, like I said, this is part two. So I've already done part one and covered the first eight stories. So today we're going to cover the next eight stories in, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. So we will introduce the story and each author, give our overall reactions and favorite line, and then discuss on a one to 10 scale how differently we might view Empire after knowing more about these side characters and creatures. I do want to note too, and I, I noted it last week, but this isn't the point of these stories to, to view the Empire Strikes Back differently at all. So we're not judging the stories based on like, did they do their job? Because that's not really their job. It, it's not really to make you look at things differently, but it's kind of a fun way to look at these stories. So that's kind of why we're using that rating scale. And then also for the first two stories, we're going to kind of combine them because they're very similar. They kind of run together. And so we'll kind of uh, lump those two together and give our reactions and favorite lines and everything. So Brandon, are you ready? Ready to get started. Let's do it. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. So the first story that we're going to discuss is called Against All Odds by R.F. Kuang. This is R.F.'s first time writing in the Star Wars universe. 
She is a Marshall Scholar, translator, and the Nebula, Locus, and World Fantasy Award-nominated author of the Poppy War Trilogy. She has an MPhil in Chinese Studies from Cambridge and an MSc in Contemporary Chinese Studies from Oxford, and she is now pursuing a PhD in East Asian Languages and Literatures at Yale. So her author bio was a little bit different than a lot of the ones that we've talked to because she has a lot that she is working on outside of being an author, but I did want to know all that because it is on her website that that's kind of where she's at right now and working on. So Against All Odds follows Dak Ralter, who is the gunner on Luke's snowspeeder during the Battle of Hoth. We learn a little bit about Dak's childhood as a prisoner to the Empire, and the story leads us to Dak's ultimate demise that we see in The Empire Strikes Back. So that is the first author bio and synopsis. So Brandon, do you want to go ahead and hit us with the next one for story two. Yeah, for sure. So we're uh, we're also going to be talking about Beyond Hope by Michael Barecki. Michael is the creator of numerous original comic series and has written and collaborated on multiple established properties, including Star Wars, Star Wars Adventure Comics. Uh, he's also written for Stranger Things and Planet of the Apes and Battlestar Galactica. Um, his story, Beyond Hope, also covers the Battle of Hoth. And the Empire has reached Hoth, and the ATATs and other Imperial forces are attacking the rebel base. And the rebels are in the process of escaping. This follows a couple of different people Iman, Andre, Callum, all sorts of different people who are escaping the, who are in the process of escaping, escaping the rebel base and how they came to join the Alliance and who makes really who I think what connects these stories for me is this, this notion of like who joins the Alliance, why are they joining the Alliance? What's motivating them to join the rebel Alliance and also the scope of the empire at this point. Yeah, for sure. That definitely, both of these kind of have that with Dak. We have the backstory of him basically being born into slavery to the empire Mm -hmm. with his parents being captured before he was born. And the fact that his family being Republic loyalists and smuggling Jedi, like they kind of just threw that in there. It's like, wait, what Jedi are what? they smuggling? <laughs> yeah. like, did they save Grogu from what's like? Oh my where, God. Where what? Travis? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Dak, Dak <laughs> Ralter, who who would have thought? <laughs> who, wait, that answers your question. Who had Grogu yeah, before the client? <laughs> That's that's very true. It is Dax. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, but yeah, it was, it was really cool getting that. And then, yeah, you're right. In the second story, it was kind of that same same thing where the Empire came in and occupied Iman's world and that he was recruited by the Rebellion. And yeah, it does kind of show similar stories between the two on how one comes to join the rebellion and yeah it was it was really cool we kind of talked about it in the first eight stories with a lot of a lot of the hoth general just type people milling around but these two are are basically in the fight and it shows them in the fight and kind of how their stories go so yeah it was i thought they were i thought they were fine stories it was nothing that totally blew me away or anything but it was it was that kind of world building especially for the first half of this book with hoth yeah, and I really, I'm drawn to a couple of lines here. I think Dak's story in particular, you know, I, I think his story is one that shows that shows what the Empire does to worlds, 
right. So page 102, Dak knows hopelessness. He knows the Empire's insurmountable steel walls, unbreakable shackles, and guards and helmets stationed around every corner with fingers on their triggers. He knows that as a ubiquitous net of surveillance that makes you feel like you can't speak, can't breathe, can't even think without the Empire's knowledge, he knows it as the source of all the screams. And I think that that sort of all-encompassing notion of the Empire and, and as a way of pushing someone into the force not the capital F force, but the uh, the entity that is fighting against the empire, the all-encompassing sort of evil that's bearing down on on your planet. But it also brings us, I, I think it's, Dak's story kind of goes into him being assigned to work with Luke and that. I think the conversation between these two stories that's happening for me is that in, uh, in Beyond Hope, there's this line, page 116, it gave them power to hope, and Iman was beginning to feel what it meant. He was coming to understand the power of after, and what happens after, what happens after the war, right? What happens after, uh, ultimately, they believe they're going to be successful. And I think, like, you know, to go from this feeling that everything is insurmountable and hopeless to going to the ultimate hope, which is the world that you're going to build after after the war. Like it's really, that's what's making me feel like these stories are really sort of in conversation with one another. Definitely. And, and that line about, you know, what comes after that actually comes up too. in in another story we're going to talk about with one of the empires and I can't remember, but I'll, I'll see it here soon, but yep. Yep. how he talks about what happens when the rebellion's gone, you know, like it's, it's just going to rebirth another rebellion because people aren't just going to roll over and just, take it for forever so yeah it's definitely an definitely an interesting conversation and yeah Dak's worldview is just really interesting because it gets really dark at the beginning yeah. of Dak's story too yeah. where it yeah, says it does it does he's, he's a great gunner because he was basically when he was in prison he was on firing squads and he had to like fire upon his own people and that just like dang like that like a lot i mean that's why it's called star wars right because you know we, we think about the force yeah. and luke and leia and all this stuff but these are the people in the trenches and you don't think about that all the time because you are so drawn to the darth vader as luke's father and like all the, you know the big overarching themes but the fact that there's so many regular people in the trenches were just I don't know. It's, it's just crazy to to think about how dark these Star Wars actually are in the end. Yeah. For me, the one of my favorite lines, and this was from the second story, Beyond Hope, was when Andri is talking to Iman, and he says, I've heard some people say the Empire is a dark shadow spreading across the galaxy, but you know what? Shadows pass. The Empire's darkness pushes down on you relentlessly. It smothers you until darkness is all that's left. And that mm-hmm. really encompasses, I think, both. And it, it really made me think, too, about Princess Leia's line in The Last Jedi about hope hope being like the sun that's right yeah if you yeah, only believe what, if you only believe in it when it's there right yeah that one yes you'll yeah. never make it through the night so yeah that i mean it was a very similar where it's that that shadow where it's it's just passing and yeah once it's once it's gone it's a little brighter there's a little bit more hope so yeah it was a lot of a lot of good one-liners in these stories yeah yeah i think so and i and one of the things uh particularly in the beyond hope story that's just sort of in my my day, my worldview, my 
my work, whatever it is, right? Like it's about it's about building the world that we want. And in Star Wars, that is one of the things that the rebellion is trying to do. And it's not everybody. It's not everybody in the rebellion, you know, like, you know, Han has his his view of the world and like the male protagonist in Lost Stars, he'll join the rebellion because it's not <laughs> because they're the opposite of everything that he is that is trying to chase him, right? So it's like people have different motivations, right? But I think that in terms of these two particular stories, it really is like the, these are the motivations that I'm drawn to with the, in terms of the rebellion. And it's where I can see that connection to kind of like, you know, how do I, how do I think about like the role I want to play in this world, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. thinking about and organizing for what comes next, right. The world that we're trying to build. Yeah. I think that's what these, these stories, particularly the ones that, are those side characters that we we know nothing about but they're fighting for you know they're doing the best that they can to fight for that world i think i think that's what makes these these stories throughout this story or this book and the previous from a certain point yeah, of view, and the previous one yeah definitely yeah for sure so on a scale of one to ten how would these two stories make you view the empire strikes back differently it's probably something like a four or five like i'm not I, I don't necessarily know that this makes me view the movie Empire Strikes Back that much differently, but the stories of the individual people in the rebellion, that element of it speaks to me. I can't necessarily look at Empire Strikes Back and see Dak. I watched I was watching a little bit of it this morning, and I don't look at Dak sitting in the backseat of of Luke Snowspeeder uh, and think, oh wow, that guy had that that guy's been through it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, I just look at it and see the guy, you know, but but yeah. reading the story, it's almost like the story is it stands alone. And same with all of the certain point of view stories. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was, too. And yeah, especially I, I give it just a little bit higher than a three or four, probably around a five ish, just because it is Dak and we do see him. Anyone that we see on screen, hopefully I, I'll think something in my head when I'm watching it. But yeah, I didn't give us it. it it's kind of like there's a couple stories we talked about last week, but it kind of makes you think about your own life more than it thinks about Empire Strikes yeah. Back, like we've yeah, already talked real. about. And that's yeah, so, so if we're talking about like how how much does it make me think more about my life and where I'm going with everything and what I want to do to get better, then it's probably a little bit higher. But yeah, as far as Empire, probably not too much. Pretty general war story type type situations that that they're getting into. So yeah, I, I would agree with you there. A certain point of view. So our next story is The Truest Duty by Christy Golden. And Christy is a veteran in the Star Wars universe, writing in both Legends and New Canon. Her more recent works include the novels Dark Disciple and Battlefront 2 Inferno Squad. And she also had a story in the first from a certain point of view titled The Bucket. Some of her other works include books in the worlds of Star Trek, World of Warcraft, and Assassin's Creed. The Truest Duty is from the point of view of Maximilian Veers, General Veers, who led the assault on the rebel base on Hoth in his AT-AT, the Blizzard One. Throughout the story, we see how his undying loyalty to Darth Vader has made him such a great leader for the Empire. The end of the story sees his AT-AT cockpit get hit by a speeder, but he ultimately survives while continually promising to not let Vader down. So, Brandon, what were your overall reactions to this story? Um, so whenever anything happens with General Veers, it, uh, it makes me think about the, uh, the Veers Watch Twitter account. 
yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that is the very, very first thing that comes to mind. But I think that this, uh, this story, Truest Duty, and one of the, one of the future ones that we're going to talk about for the last time, it, it really helps me to look at Vader's role in the Empire and how, how different uh, admirals, generals might view Vader differently. And Veers is is very much, if Vader says it, he's going to try and do it. So my takeaway from it is like, you know what, there, there are people who are skeptical of Vader, and then there are people who are really just, Vader's the guy, and if he says it, I got to do it. And But Veers wants to please. <laughs> No, for sure. And there is a lot of, there's a lot of Tarkin talk. There's a lot of Tarkin yeah. slander yeah. in this story. Yeah, and I, and I, <laughs> yes. I, I love, I love Tarkin. He's one of, he's always been for whatever reason, Tarkin's always been one of my favorite characters. And so, yeah, we get a lot of viewers just like talking smack about him because of how he failed on the Death Star and all the things he did wrong. But yeah, it, it was, it was a, I thought this was a really good story. I, I like that we get, a story from someone in the empire that doesn't revolve around, Oh, well I had a tragic backstory and that's why it led me to the empire and I'm at the end of my life. So I'm going to think differently. It's like, no, Veers is just a bad dude that he loves what he does. And he really reminds me of captain Kennedy. And I always, talk about, <laughs> I always bring up last Jedi, but a lot of the things like he said in this and just how he thought, I just think of Kennedy's smug look on his face right before he dies. And it's just that like, he he doesn't he he b- still believes in the cause right up to his last moments like he still believes in what he was doing and veers is just he's every bit as cool calm collected that we see of him in the empire strikes strikes back especially when he's in his atat where he's just like sleek outfit got that cool little helmet and yeah it just uh, yeah so i really i i really enjoyed enjoyed getting to know veers a little bit closer yeah yeah absolutely and actually one of the notes that i have here is actually it's a it's a note about the mandalorian chapter 15 where mando and bill burr are having the conversation with burr's old commanding officer in the cafeteria you you can feel like the empire's sort of by any means necessary but also kind of like this disregard for the people who had for for the people who who died in the effort but right now like we have you know we're we're trying to achieve something and it's i think there there is this real sort of we'll see it later in one of the other stories about kind of how the how the rebellion and how the and how the empire kind of view um their losses yeah that's a good call yeah it's the well we outlived them all line you know of the of the empire it's like well we're still doing our thing you know we yeah. are them and and we're still we're still doing our empire stuff so yeah that was yeah. that's a really good call uh what was your favorite line from this story so i uh have highlighted on 126 i have the um the romantic paragraph about the atat <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> uh he had a special fondness for the Alteranian Armored Transport, or AT-AT as it was named. AT-ATs weren't swift or flashy. They were steady, slow, and got the job done. Veers had spent so many hours in that languid 
rhythmic movements of that transport, akin to riding a great beast, felt as normal to him as walking. Nothing had stronger armor than an AT-AT, and often the mere sight of one of the behemoths striding towards ground fighters was enough to psychologically rattle them without a shot being fired. But I think, I feel like watching Empire for the first time and seeing the scale of that compared to what what the rebels were doing it's not unlike the death star you know like yeah. uh you know the big thing and you're the little thing but i i just thought it was funny how he's how he's romantically talking about the atat which over the years i've come to think of as as more burdensome and less practical but yeah. veers but veers loves it so hey that's that's cool especially how he's he's talking it up so much and then it literally gets taken down by a tow oh cable God. from one right. swing and then it's just like <laughs> right in the it's like that's the one weak spot right that's yeah. the one weak spot yeah. yeah there has to be a weak spot or else it wouldn't be interesting right the death star wouldn't have blown exactly. up without a weak spot so it would have just been story the star wars would have that they they would have won the star Wars. so <laughs> <laughs> uh so Mine that I picked out is it was it had to do with Veer's just undying love for Vader, and it says Veer's was perfectly well aware that Vader was not a god, and this is in between all of this stuff where he's talking about how he's so loyal to him, he wants to do everything he can for him, and it just so many times we get Vader described as this big machine force of nature not even a person, a God or a monster or whatever it is, but he knows that he's not a God. He knows that there's a person in there, but he doesn't care. He still wants to serve him. Like that is his purpose. He just, so I I just, I thought that said a lot about Veer's character is that a lot of other characters might do it because they, they do kind of worship him or see him as that godlike figure. But the fact that Throughout all of this, Veer still, you know, knows that he's not that godlike figure, but he still is so loyal. I just, I thought that was that was really interesting. There is going to be a a part. Uh, there is going to be a story here in conversation with that with that very point. So yes, yes, so put a, sure. stick a pin, stick a pin there. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> coming up. We will I, come back to it. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. I, I totally. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about with that one, but. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how will this story make you view empire differently? You know, I think, I I think this might be a little higher, maybe a five or six, but it's still the same sort of, I think it's still sort of on that, on that level. Like it doesn't move the needle too much for me, but, um, it, it's a nice thing to sort of add on after the fact. Yeah, I have it a, a six too, and that's only because it's Veers. If it was a, a random person, but the fact that it is Veers, there's an entire Twitter account dedicated to Veers. Dedicated blog. to Veers, that's yes. right. And the fact that that Twitter account has had so much interaction with with Del Rey, uh, Star Wars books Twitter on on there too has been has been really fun to watch and just that's the excitement right. from the account. So that's yeah, right. That's that's why I gave it a, a little bit higher than I probably would have. So what I told you was true. From a certain point of view. All right. Next up is A Naturalist on Hoth by Hank Green. This is Hank's first time writing in the Star Wars galaxy. He is known for producing a YouTube channel called The Vlog Brothers with his brother, John. The more famous Green brother, John? I I think so, right? Uh, But this is about Hank. 
uh, <laughs> who is the who is the creator and host of educational programs on YouTube called Crash Course and Sci Show. He has also released four comedy music albums and written two books. In A Naturalist on Hoth, we learn that everybody has a role to play in the rebellion, even an ecologist. Everyone can also get jaded by war and the means that some people see to an end. The end being whatever winning means, whatever uh, whatever comes after. Uh, but this is also really a deeper dive into tauntauns, including how they survive on Hoth and the habitat that they have created for themselves on this ice ball of a planet. Actually, I didn't write it in my notes, but it also gets a little bit into how they uh, came across Hoth and decided on it as a as a base. Travis. How did you feel about a naturalist on Hoth? What are your immediate takeaways? This story was really funny to me that it came right after the story of Veers and then also these, you know, rebels that that have had these like really tragic backstories. So I thought it was really funny that they just threw this kind of right after that because it was so kind of off the wall. And I, I probably would have been, you know, if we if we weren't talking about this and looking up the authors and, and all that stuff, then I'd probably been like what? Where did this come from? But the fact that it is Hank Green and after learning a little bit about what he does, I I just, I thought it was really funny that it was in the middle of this book and really fresh and different and kind of a nice change of pace. Uh, But I really, I really liked the main character, Kel, Kel Tolkani. He's just a huge nerd. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I love that about him. And, you know, I thought that it was, it got a little bit meta too with breaking down the actual science of star Wars and why they do what they do because people in the real world love to complain about the science of star Wars so much. And you know, it's like in a galaxy that has lightsabers and force stuff and all this stuff, people like to complain that, you know, a ship traveled too quickly or whatever it is like that that's what got you you know so i thought it was really funny that you know this character was focused on the science of the actual universe and i and I also thought it was just really interesting that we do get that that other look it's that third point of view because we get rebels we get empire but from an outsider and you know he's obviously kind of working with a rebellion and everything but an outsider looking in it's like well the rebels aren't perfect either and we get that earlier in this book with the wampa story and the tauntaun story where it's like well they went to hoth and like destroyed the wampa's cave and they did you know all this other stuff where it's like this guy sees that and he's like not okay with it at all he doesn't want to contribute to it you know (laughs) and so i just yeah it was a really it was a really fresh story to me it was really really fun and kind of a nice reprieve in the middle of all these really deep, heavy stories to get this one. So how about you? What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I also thought it was really funny. Um, And I also thought, you know, and, and I came around the same way as you did about how the story is, it shows how someone can get jaded with the rebellion, right? It shows how like they almost did get into a cycle. Okay, we have to find a new planet. We have to find a new way to live there. We have we have to study the local species just over and over and over again. And then you you come to find your your home on this ice ball of a planet, uh, you know. And you're seeing how look, you're just there for war, right? Like you're you're just there for war. And even if you think the people who you're fighting with are the good guys, 
everybody has their breaking point, right? Everybody has, everybody has the point where, where that was enough. I mean, everybody has the point where they join in as well. Like he talks about Alderaan, no one could equivocate or lie or cover up Alderaan. There's a moment where you can't sit back and watch anymore. If it wasn't Alderaan, it was never, that's what broke me. I could, I could no longer work. I could no longer think, but that is contrasted at the end. I came to the study. And while I did a base formed around me, I had found a way to do what I love while also helping the rebellion, but that didn't make me a soldier. In fact, despite my best efforts, I feel a quiet contempt for those who are only here to kill and be killed. And that is really like, it's in this story, you follow this person's journey from being like someone who's like, okay, I certainly have a role to play in the rebellion after this terrible galactic event. But then also, there is a point where you can't do it anymore. And it's you get to see both right here. Yeah, that that was that was pretty similar to my to my favorite line too, where he says, "I do not know how to win a war, but I find myself also no no longer able to care." Alderaan tore a hole in me. I didn't just lose faith in the Empire; to some extent, I lost faith in my species. Which, wow, like talk about real world stuff and losing faith in the human race you know when you see certain things go down where you're like that's what we're doing right now like this really all this has happened and it was such an interesting story and then to get that point of view on top of all the like weird geeky like sciencey type stuff was just kind of hit you and it's again it's a real world stuff so it's like from a certain point of view is no longer about these characters it's about our points of view on what we're doing with our life which is just an interesting twist on on everything i think yeah yeah absolutely i I just i do want to talk about tauntauns real quick because i think yeah absolutely uh, (laughs) because i i mean i think it's really cool that tauntauns can play dead uh um and and that they have kind of and and i always i guess i always thought that was a little unusual right like tauntauns are native to the planet and the rebels are riding them right on on this rough terrain so naturally you would think they would be able to survive the harsh weather right like yeah you know but that never squared with the tauntaun (laughs) uh dying in the blizzard right um but uh it it's interesting to see that get filled in it's it's interesting to see someone who loves tauntauns you know and talks about them like this i think that it's uh it's it's a good way to tie the story in and i think learning this point of view on tauntauns was was cool for me yeah it the tauntauns and we get the whole story about mira you know earlier in this i would have loved to get an interaction between mira and kel because the tauntauns can basically smell human thoughts and emotions so i would have wanted to know what did they smell on kel you know like what what was her sense of of his purpose and in what he stood for and everything i think that would have been a really but yeah i I love how all these stories really work together and just bounce off of each other so well and i'd love to be in some of the group chats between these authors or emails and stuff just to see what is the process on a lot of these stories because yeah it's really really cool how it weaves in and out for sure how about from on a scale one to ten how's this one How's this one rate? For me, it was pretty low. Again, it was a number. It was about two to three. You know, not probably not going to think about the ecosystem and you know Kel or anything. Again, it's more of that real world situational stuff that I'm probably going to think of. But yeah, how how is it for you? 
Yeah, I th- I think it's probably, I mean, spoiler alert, all of mine are probably going to be like in the four to six range here. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, yeah. I think this is kind of, uh, I, so no hot takes for me, but I think this is, this is probably like a four or five. And I'm saying that because it, it's kind of interesting for me to see how they decide where to set up bases. You know, like when you're on the run, why Hoth? It's remote. It's, it's a ball of ice. So sure. Okay. Yeah. Who's going to suspect that? But I think that, you know, yeah, it's, it's like a four or five. I appreciate the tauntauns. I appreciate the story, but it's not, you know, it's not really changing the way that I'm viewing Empire. 100% agreed agreed a certain point of view so our next one is really interesting it's not really a story it is a comic strip and this was really cool to have right in the middle of this book as well especially coming right after that story uh, but this one is the dragon snake saves r2 by katie cook Katie is an artist who has illustrated several star wars works including the clone wars web comic series Star Wars Adventures comics, and the children's books, ABC-3PO and OB-123, which are really, really cute books. Uh, She will also be featured in the upcoming reference book, the Star Wars Book of Monsters, Ooze, and Slime, that releases in April 2021. And she's also the creator of the comic Nothing Special online webtoon, an all-ages adventure about a girl, a boy with fairy wings, and a dead radish so very interesting stuff there so the synopsis of this one very short so this is an extremely cute comic strip of the moment luke lands on dagobah and r2 gets lost in the swamp we find out that a dragon snake saves r2 by picking up him up with his mouth spitting him back out and that's when we see r2 fly out of the swamp and make his little scream then he gives him a look with a little speech bubble and there's a heart in it so like like he helped him out like he like he loves R2. So yeah, Brandon, what were your reactions to this one? Uh I'll tell you right now, my favorite quote is sploosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sploosh. Yeah. Uh that's one. my favorite one. Yeah. I, I think this I think this is really cool and it, I I like how it plays with the format. Like it's uh there are a lot of short stories here and throw throw in a one page comic. I think it's really cute. I think it's really cool. And um all right. Now now I know how R2 got out of the swamp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, same way. Very cute. Uh it was another nice reprieve from the killing and the war and the backstories about having to be on a firing squad and all this stuff. So it was, it was a nice little break from that even, even further. And especially cause the next couple stories, a couple of them are really long. Like they're not, they're short stories, but they, they get kind of long towards the end. So it was nice too to have that kind of little bit of a breather as well. But yeah, it was, it was nice. Fills in a little backstory of R2, how he got saved. But uh, on a scale of one to 10, I, I gave this one an eight because I think, just just that scene and actually seeing it now seeing like him come from underwater and get him and throw him out like we know exactly what happens with r2 and then you know we first we just kind of knew he got thrown out or he jumped out or something we didn't really exactly see it so yeah i gave this one a higher one just because that that moment will stick with me i'm sure Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so now this is making me rethink mine. I think I'll go on the higher end for for this one. I'll give it a six. Uh, now, now I'm interested in the from a certain point of view of the certain point of view of the dragon snake here. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, give me give me the dragon snake story and whether the dragon and Yoda ever hung out or did something. Yeah, uh, yeah. May, maybe for maybe for Return of the Jedi, certain point of view. 
Yes, very true. It could come back for that one, for sure. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. All right, the next story is For the Last Time by Beth Revis. Beth is a New York Times bestselling author who wrote Rebel Rising, which was a novel about Jin Erso's time between the opening flashback scene and the rest of the movie Rogue One, one of which was uh, uh, one of the books leading up to the release of Rogue One. She also wrote the mini-comic series Star Wars Forces of Destiny, Ahsoka and Padme, and had a short story in the first certain point of view book, Fully Operational. She is best known for her Across the Universe trilogy, which consists of Across the Universe, A Million Suns, and Shades of Earth. This is the story of Admiral Piet, and it includes a lot of musings on Vader and fear. So where fear comes from, what it means to feel it, what it means to wield fear, and how people can make others feel fearful or, in fact, stop feeling fearful. Travis, what's your take on on for the last time? How how did you feel while you were reading this? So I really love this one. I it really starts as a normal type. Okay, he's a bad guy. He's part of the Empire. He's Admiral Piet, who we all know. But then it really evolves into a story about Vader's humanity and what that means, yeah. and yeah. how Piet looks at him, and how others might look at him as well. And you know the fact that it kind of turns towards the end on Piet feeling pity that's kind of hard to say on vader like he feels bad for vader is is a take you don't really see anybody really even caring about the man under the mask but that moment where he sees him without his helmet it just it you know the fact that this whole story pretty much takes place like in that moment was just was just really good it it gets really descriptive about what vader looks like underneath and the the line that that stuck that stuck with me was just that he doesn't see vader's eyes and so he has this thought in his head does vader have eyes or is it just two hollowed out black holes which just creeped me out so bad that i was just like whoa that was it was just really descriptive so yeah i this this story will probably stay just for that line alone i think will probably probably stay with me for a while but yeah it was uh it was it was really good it was a good look at at admiral piet how about you that's right uh he's a walking corpse (laughs) right like it says piet thinks he's a walking corpse and like i think that the contrast between this story and the Veers story, you know, Veers is someone who is who is aiming to please Vader. And in doing so, he's, you know, he's and he sees Vader as human, right? Like he knows, okay, Vader's not a robot, he's a human, but he's, he's a superior, he uh, has the ear of the emperor, I am trying to make sure I'm doing what he asks. Piet, sees vader as less than human right he sees him he sees him as well a walking corpse and a broken human right so piet had known logically that beneath the mask of darth vader of lord vader was a human he had not known how broken a human though and and i think like this whole story is about how because he views vader this way he's not afraid of him right like vader instills fear in everybody in the empire because he can literally kill you with his hand from from across from across the star destroyer across the galaxy but piet is viewing vader in this way that (laughs) viewing him as mortal 
pitiable and weak, right? Yeah. Like, which is which is really wild to me, uh, considering how Vader is the all-time villain in yeah. in like global pop culture, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, what what's what's more evil and scary than Vader? And I would say maybe even more so than episode one, you know, this is the, this is the notion that kind of turns out on his, on its head, right? Like it's not even, okay, well, Vader used to be this cute little child, right? It's that even now Vader under the suit and, you know, he seems scary, but really he's just this broken dude. (laughs) So, So I don't need to be scared of him. Yes, no, exactly. And that's, he asked the question Piet does to himself, what turns a man into such a monster? What makes a man choose this over death? Death seemed easy. Ozel had made it appear so, which is a really good dig at Ozel, because they all just kind of make fun of Ozel for getting choked out across the galaxy. Oh my uh, God, right. says, but this way of living, why would Lord Vader choose such pain? And this was very Shakespearean, you know, where he's like, yeah. what, what yeah. turns a man into such a monster? And it's such a great question that, nobody knows in the galaxy we all know it we got three whole movies about <laughs> why he turned into this broken down sad human yeah. living under this big black suit like force choking people and just being evil all the time but they don't know that right and it right. is a great question to ask after seeing him like mm-hmm. that. So, mm-hmm. yeah it's uh that was a very very great line i thought just asking those questions yeah absolutely and, you know at this point we've had we've also had three darth vader centric comic series all of which kind of focus on a different part of this pain <laughs> that yeah. he's feeling yeah. and um you know whether it's whether it's pain over padme or pain over like the physical pain of his of his suit or the pain that the emperor is sort of inflicting upon him constantly. We, we see him choosing pain over and over and over again. Yeah, no, hundred percent agreed. So how will this one make you view empire differently? Or is this one sit for you? So I, I think I'm actually going to go a little higher on this one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go up to a seven. So I'm not going too far up, yeah. but but I, I think this is a great sort of counterpoint to to the fear that Vader instills in so much of the Empire. And I think where Vader might have seen someone like Tarkin or Tarkin might have seen someone like Vader as sort of like a tactical equal, I think that all of the other points of view in the Empire is Vader's a superior or Vader is sort of unknown. Well, you also have the guy from, from A New Hope who uh, talks about hokey religions, right? Yeah, uh, right but... Right. But he gets choked out too, so, Va- yeah. so Vader's just kind of picking him off one by one. I'm, I'm yeah. going to go up to a I'm going to go up to a seven for this one because I think it's a it's an interesting point of view uh, to hear from from someone who who is sort of directly interacting with Vader in the imperial context. I gave this one a seven as well. I I, I think it's the line about the hollowed out eyes that is just it gives you that look when Piet walks in on him. And just being in his mindset, thinking, not knowing what he looks like from the front, I think that is just going to stay with me because it's just, you can imagine that. And, and the way it was so descriptive, this entire thing about the lumbar support from his suit 
you know, going up to his neck and all of this stuff where they just really put it, Beth Revis just really put it into great words on how shocking it is. But at the same time, how it made him pity Vader. So yeah, I gave it, I gave it a seven as well. Just, yeah, that line, man, about the hollowed eyes. I just, it's creepy. I feel like I've seen a horror movie with someone with their eyes like hollowed out. So I think maybe that's, maybe that's where that is. A certain point of view. Our next story is Rendezvous Point by Jason Fry. Jason has written several stories and reference books for Star Wars, including Ray's Survival Guide, Moving Target, A Princess Leia Adventure, Rose Tico, Resistance Fighter, and Star Wars, The Galactic Explorer's Guide. He also had a story in the first From a Certain Point of View book and wrote The Last Jedi novelization. Outside of Star Wars, he is the author of the Jupiter Pirates space fantasy series and writes about the New York Mets on his blog, Faith and Fear in Flushing. So, fellow baseball guy. This story follows Wedge Antilles after the evacuation of Echo Base on Hoth to Home One, which is the Mon Calamari ship that was the Rebels' rendezvous point. Wedge gets promoted to commander in the absence of Luke Skywalker and works with his fellow pilot Jansen to rebuild the squadron, and he has two days to train them up. Red Squadron goes on a mission to scan the area around their ship for enemies, and they find a band of pirates. I love that there's so many pirates in Star Wars now, too. So there are so many. Every episode of The Mandalorian, they said pirates, I'm pretty sure. It's like almost every episode, there's so many pirates. So, yeah, shout out to all the Star Wars pirates. So, they have to kill the pirates to give the Rebels enough time to stay at the rendezvous point until Leia and Luke make it back to them. They complete the mission, giving the Rebels enough time that they need. So what were your overall reactions to this one? You know, I liked this one. I think that, th- so this is this is the longest story in our, uh, in this section. And I think, I think this is like a story that would fit in even not in a compilation like Certain Point of View, right? Like the, if this was like a one shot wedge comic or a, or a five issue wedge comic, it, it feels a little bit like, like parts of the Poe Dameron comic series where it's like you've got this you've got this crew you're kind of pulling people in from all over the place and you get a little bit of each of their stories and so i thought this was a great look at at the rebellion and how they kind of gear up for each battle how they refill their squadrons their losses in every battle speaking of losses again so their losses in every battle so how how do you how do they kind of reform their squadrons and how do they get ready? And I thought this was a pretty cool story. And I think it, it fits in well, whether it is in the, the certain point of view book. There are some stories that just that feel like they are for a certain point of view. And that's it. This one feels like it can it can fit in elsewhere in Star Wars, too. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was very long. It, it did feel like it could be a novel or kind of like his his story his rose tico resistance fighter story where it was kind of yeah yeah type story but it was enough to fill up its own book but yeah i thought i thought this one was really funny there was it was it was very funny for half of it and very very serious for the other half and it mixed it mixed it really good the line about the maximum absorbency undergarments uh, that they have to wear because they're in their ships for so long really made me laugh the the way that they kind of talk about the mom calamari how their their ship is turned up you know the heat is turned way up because that's how they have to have to live the mom cows because they're fish and then there's the joke about that the mom calamari are moving in tandem because of schooling instinct 
like fish and it just like this such a stupid joke but it was it just really made me laugh but was really serious and it talks about wedges you know a little bit of his regret of not staying in the trenches on the death star you know during a new hope and how he kind of bailed even though that was the best move you know the sadness that he faces with all of his co-pilots he renames his squadron red squadron instead of rogue squadron because he's so sad that all you know he he can't bring himself to call out rogue rogue two rogue three because a lot of them died but they would technically have to use the same call signs for these new pilots and he didn't want to you know this the squad to have to do that and so yeah it was it got real it, it got very deep with wedge but at the same time it was a really funny story to me yeah definitely the one other thing, the one other thing, the Tauntaun through line comes comes here, and this is where this is where it'll stop. This will be our last Tauntaun reference. But they have the little like uh, the Tauntaun scent <laughs> that they uh, uh, hobby plays a joke on uh, on Wedge and leaves it uh, leaves it open <laughs> in his yeah. uh, in his X wing. I also love what I also love Wedge's R two unit or his astromech R five G eight who. Uh, yeah. Is uh, who who is very cautious and asks a lot of questions, and uh, whose favorite phrase seems to be "Are you sure? Are you sure?" Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He has to keep saying, "Yes, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure." So funny. What was your favorite line in this one or paragraph? Oh my god! So I have a couple here. Some of these are like so. There, a, a few of these sort of sections will will kind of end with Wedge giving Cot a pep talk. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, this is this is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. So I, I highlighted a couple of those. And then I also highlighted, I highlighted actually the section from Mon Mothma, uh, Double M, right? Yeah, double uh, M. Where she says, we will mourn those we've lost. I will always be grateful to them for their sacrifice, as I will be grateful to you. Your bravery has given us something precious in wartime, time to gather those who have yet to find us, to recoup our strength, and to ensure that those we've lost will not have died in vain. And I think this is the same sort of Mandalorian chapter 15 note that I that I put here as I had put in the Veer story, because it's really like I think it's it's sort of this different tone, you know, for how for how you for how the rebellion and how the Empire treat their losses and look at those who have who have died for their cause. And I think that, you know, they, they prepare them as well as they can, both Contessa and Mon Mothma and Wedge, they all understand that losses happen. So they're going in, they're going into, into these battles kind of with that in mind. But I, I like it as sort of like an, an encapsulation of, of how the rebellion operates in, in terms of those who, who die for their cause. But I'll, I'll, I'll one point on pirates. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> one point yeah. on one point on pirates. So I think it's interesting because like the the other side of this, right? That's Bon Mothma. That's Double M saying this is what we need to do. People are going to die, but it's also, you know, this is bigger. This is bigger than us. It's bigger than them. Whatever. But I actually think about pirates. I I think about pirates from a slightly different perspective, and I'm not necessarily thinking about the pirates from say resistance who are very like you have those pirates from resistance who are very like 
okay, well, they're pirates. They're out to plunder. <laughs> you know, they're, gonna, right. they're they're trying to they're trying to steal fuel, steal weapons, and then eventually take over themselves and whatever, right? Uh, but they could be they could be swayed with their self interest. Uh, but I also think about. This is the third time I'm bringing up Mandalorian chapter 15, but I, but I think about the pirates from Mando 15 and, you know, I don't necessarily think of, we never, we never know for sure what their motivations are, but I don't necessarily think of them as a group that's trying to sort of steal those trucks, right? Like I think of them as, as people who are trying to stop the mining, you know, I think of them as people who are trying to stop the, the first order, then the first order or Imperial remnant or whatever, from continuing to to take their world's resources. So I I was feeling some kind of way when when I saw that it was it was the pirates who were kind of the main the main enemy here. It doesn't really go into the pirates. It doesn't really talk about them too much. It's very very focused on on Wedge and the and the rogue team or the red team, sorry. But I think pirates can be complicated. <laughs> and so yeah. uh and so I I'm going into this also thinking um just not knowing the the pirates full motivation here. Yeah, and they I think there is like one or two lines and I should have wrote it down, but I think there is like one or two lines about the pirates and why they might be there and maybe that they're not empire friendly, but it doesn't matter because if their location gets out, then they're they're gone. So they basically have to go in and just destroy these pirates or people or species or whatever that they know nothing about, which is just another, it kind of reminds me of Cassian in Rogue One, where he's just like doing this stuff because it's the only way they can get things done by- it's Very, you know, very Cassian, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it does make you think, but yeah, that um, I think the lasting power of chapter 15 of the Mandalorian is really going to, really going to go on for a long time because that that episode got got really deep and the fact that we brought brought it up three times obviously it's fresh in our minds but still i mean the implications and and everything that will spark from that i think are going to be really good mine was wedge speaking about the absence of luke skywalker so he says it was impossible just as it was impossible to think of the rebellion without leia organa the leader who embodied the reason they fought but perhaps hoth had been the border between the possible and the impossible perhaps they were now across it in a strange undiscovered country but had yet to realize it and this line especially about being on that border after you know pre-hoth after hoth to me it felt like it was very fitting in relation to Star Wars, A New Hope versus The Empire Strikes Back and how everything that they did in The Empire Strikes Back was crossing that border of what is Star Wars in general, first off, like what is this going to mean? But like how big of a risk Empire was to make and the direction it took. And after Hoth, The Empire Strikes Back gets pretty weird. I mean, it gets it gets very not star wars a new hope right it's it's very different and it shifts gears so dramatically and the fact that it's kind of laid out here and i don't know if that was intentional or not but it was it was kind of luke skywalker was gone at this moment and what did that mean to wedge and what did that mean to the rebellion and Luke wasn't with them for Empire. You know, he he was not with it. He he was gone on Dagobah doing his own thing. He comes back, you know, obviously to to Cloud City and everything, but he's he's not with the rebellion, so it is a different time. So yeah, I really I really like that line about about the absence of Luke and then how it, they're in a different world now. You know, they're not it's not 
everything's okay, Star Wars, like Luke Skywalker's just going to save the day. The the way that that got me thinking of the saga as a whole, I think, says a lot that that was done in this short story in this book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I and I I think I I really like what you said. How this is kind of like how how it get how it's how it's a little meta, you know how. Um, this is kind of where Star Wars, the story shifts, the presentation of Star Wars shifts at this point, you know, we haven't met Yoda, you know, like mm-hmm. we, um, we just saw the bad guys win, you know, we have stories about how Vader is human, but we just learned that. And so there's another big reveal coming up later with yeah. Vader. Both. Yeah, I, I won't, I won't spoil it. Uh, but just trust me when I tell you, you will be surprised. So I, I think you're right that this is kind of the point. This is the point where, where Star Wars shifts a little. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate that analysis. So on a scale of one to 10, for me, I gave this one a seven again, basically because it really, it really also made me think of how much time passes in empire because you don't think about that i know blast points did like a whole episode on time and star wars and how it works and like where you are on the timeline but it made me think in between all that stuff that we don't see i think i'm gonna think about that a lot like what's the rebellion doing while luke is on dagobah and while leia and han are on the falcon going through an asteroid field like what are they up to and it's this whole big mission and you're right it could be a comic book where i would i would definitely read that and they might have covered that at some point you know what or they might still still give us some more about that time period within empire strikes back but yeah i think just the fact that that much time you know he had two days to train him and then the two days pass and he trains him and it's like yeah oh dang yeah a lot of time kind of goes through here i it did it barely even occurred to me that there were two days for, yeah. for them for this all to happen um so I think I would be probably similar. Like I might, I might bump this one up to seven too, because it does help me understand the timeline a little bit. I think that I had always kind of thought of Dagobah as being a planet where time moves a little weird, you know, yeah. like yeah. when you're dealing with the force and stuff, but this, in this story, you're dealing with, you know, two actual days, right? Like you're dealing with sort of finite amounts of time that, that people are talking about. I I have one, I have two sort of real quick things. One is I just love how they sort of dumped the Contessa in there. And like, they don't explain anything about Contessa until the very end. We don't know Contessa's name. Yeah. Yeah. She she is the Contessa and that's it. And you just got to kind of go with her because she has the ear of double M. Right. Yeah. Um, And then there's a line where Wedge says, what in the name of every Corellian hell could you possibly need that for? And uh, I think it, it goes along with what you're talking about, how how this chapter is very funny. And also uh, that reminds me of, um, I don't know if you listened to Star Wars Minute, but one of the one of the lines from early on, <laughs> they're, they're wondering like what hell they're referring to <laughs> when, yeah, uh, yeah. When, when Han says, I'll see you in hell. So then that became a joke where, where they always say, where they always reference Christian hell. Uh, so now, uh, so now we have Corellian hell as yeah. well to go along with Christian hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a really good, good line. <laughs> so what I told you was true. 
from a certain point of view. So the last story that we're covering today is The Final Order by Seth Dickinson. This is Seth's first time writing in the Star Wars galaxy. He is the author of the Masquerade series and has published short fiction and written for video games in the past. So uh, let's cue up Bizarre Love Triangle because it's time for a story about the New Order. Uh, it's a story of Captain Cannon House, Imperial careerist, himself somewhat jaded by the Empire, by the New Order. It kind of dives a little deeper into his story through the lens of a conversation with one of his direct reports. Talks a little bit about his time pre-Empire, during the Clone Wars. Also, uh, he finds a crew of Alderanian refugees as part of his career. And uh, this is the story of the Star Destroyer that is ordered to go into the asteroid field to find the Millennium Falcon. Travis, what are some of your takeaways from The Final Order? This one was really entertaining to me. It was very, very entertaining. The way that we have this grumpy, older war vet that's in command talking with this young, upstart, fresh face, trying to get her start and trying to climb up the ranks. Just the way that they bounced off each other was really, it was very character driven. And it made me want to know and get more of these two characters because it was really, it reminded me, especially Captain Cannon House, he reminded me of someone that has been at a job for 30 years, which he has. Um, so, I mean, that's that's not too far off, but it, he's kind of like that. He's been there for so long. He doesn't want to participate in anything extra other than what he's there for. He doesn't want to go to the holiday party, you know, the, the office holiday party. Like he's not going to show up. He's not going to do extra things. He just, he's just there. He, he's starting to think about retirement a little bit, but I feel, I've, I feel like I've worked with people like that before that they've been there so long or they're just like kind of over it and just kind of annoyed by things and just very, very grumpy. <laughs> and I just thought that the way they bounce off each other was really, really funny. He was kind of not proper. He kind of pushed the buttons here and there. And then he talks about all of this is basically made up, you know, it made up war for, for the people in charge to get their way. And they're just kind of tools. And he knows that, you know, cause he's been around the block and yeah, I don't know. It was, it was really, I really appreciated the character study of these two playing off of each other. Yeah, I definitely felt that too. This very much like, you know, like you get Cannon House's uh, stream of consciousness, right? Oh yeah, this is this is what I would have done. This is what I would have done. And you're reading it out. He's like, yeah. yes, I would have done, done this. I would have said this. I would have filed this report, da, 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 da. But I didn't say any of that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> instead, exactly. I said, instead, instead, I said what was proper, right? Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, what would you do? What would you do? What would you, what did you do, right? Um, and also, um, you know, there's that part where he files, he finds the Alderanian refugees and like he files a fake report, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's, you're right about him pressing the buttons, just kind of like trying to figure out what, you know, it, it might not be like how far you can push it, right? But it is kind of like, okay, so it's a little bit of um, how we are thinking about sort of the machinations of the empire. Uh, but you also mentioned how how he views the empire, right? Or how yeah. he views the new order. And um, I get major like Mayor Sideshow Bob vibes from him here. There is no restraint or principle at the center of the new order. And that is why people admire it. The empire does all the things that people secretly believe should be done with power. And um, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
you know, it just reminds me of Sideshow Bob. Like, you know, you secretly look, you secretly yearn to be ruled with an iron fist, you know? And, uh, and, uh, I, but but that's another thing that he doesn't say, right? He's thinking it. So I'm underlining these parts, thinking like, ooh, ooh, that's good. That's a really good description of the of of the empire. And he's like, oh yeah, but I didn't say that. Yeah. That's I could I couldn't say that. It's true, yeah. but I couldn't say it. So I thought that was really interesting. And I think you're right too about kind of the the career sort of angle here. May May I ask, sir, how long have you been working in Navy ships? He had to do the math in his head. 30 years, I think, since I was a midshipman with the old, the prior regime. Uh, and if I may ask, sir, where do you see yourself in another 30 years? 80 years old, in a white place with polished black floors and dry air that made him sneeze in a uniform and cap that hurt his head in the jungle. I'm command sector of a fleet, I suppose, or is, or in a staff position. He smiled and coughed again, or writing my memoirs. And, <laughs> and you know, so I just think that that is really, you know, an interesting look at this angle of the empire, of the the new order. I loved Captain Cannon House's character. Uh, my favorite line, though, it was a little bit different. So there was all that, like, and, and, and he had that through line of, like, sneezing and, like, coughing. And he's like, yeah. am I sick? Or am I getting, am I coming down with something or not? And then the story ends with, he sneezes or whatever it is, where it's just like, wait, what just happened in this story? I, I don't, I, wait, what? So, but no, it was, it was really good. But I kind of like we talked about earlier with, with the empire and the new order and, you know, how the rebellions get started. It says in 20 years, the inner emptiness of the new order would become outer. The logic of loyalty and rebellion would be accelerated until everyone who was not aroused to the highest state of loyalty would be marked as a traitor and announced. So this, like his own emptiness inside is the same emptiness he sees from all the empire workers in the empire itself. You know, whether it's a redemption story or whether it's him having flashbacks, like we see this throughout all of these empire characters specifically in this book, but all of that emptiness between all collectively of all these empire workers, it just, I, that the fact that that will start projecting on the galaxy, it, it was just a really interesting concept to me. And it, it basically says that it's making it impossible for the empire to stay in control in a way too, which is kind of comforting where it's like, no matter how bad things get, like eventually whoever's working for these really awful people that are at the very top, like they're going to either reach their limit or they're going to, you know, just give up. But that's kind of how rebellions are started. So it is, it's kind of sad because it's a cycle, but at the same time, it's a little bit comforting because we know that the empire cannot last for eternity. It makes me feel better about our world too. <laughs> like, no matter how bad things get, like it, like history tells us it'll never stay. Like it'll get really, really bad, but hopefully, hopefully it will not stay like that for eternity. So right. Kind of right. And, and that's about, and to me, that brings up the, the notion of, of what comes after, right? Like mm-hmm. it brings me back to that. You know, yeah. it brings me back to, it brings me back to that. And the flip side of what happens when the rebellion wins, you know, is him thinking about what happens when the rebellion is crushed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, it does get me thinking about the flip side and also that the the order will get complacent and new insurgencies will will arise and that is some in a way it happens naturally and also in a way you know it requires that hope it requires that 
uh, that action as well. What would you rate this one? I, I, I'll just go ahead. I, I rated this one very low. I gave it a three, right? Not much that we see in the movie that, that we actually see, but I just love grumpy old man being grumpy in space, like having to take his star destroyer. Like when they're like, you have to go in the asteroid field. He's like into the asteroid field. Like, come on. Like, really? <laughs> That's what I got to do. You know, he's like, he's just over it. It just, he's real. I, I've, I've met this person before. <laughs> it's just it's really, really, really funny to me. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because I can, I can imagine this person. I could also see how he is, you know, he's, he's saying he's going down with his ship. Like there is still that, that twinge of honor left, you know, Um, that, that small sliver of loyalty where he, even if, you know, he's just going through the motions, he tells his staff to get off the bridge. He know you know, you're going into an asteroid field, the the bridge is probably the most vulnerable part, you know. So, well, it's definitely the most vulnerable yeah, part. Uh, yeah. uh, but he at least gives his his team, you know, an opportunity to to get off, and just that little little bit left of of looking out for his people. But I would also give it like a three or a four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said at the beginning, totally not the point of these stories. Just yeah, the way yeah. And, and yeah. I guess I really. I really thought about it, especially last week. I had a couple of really high ones because, like, we got this really great Wampa story where it's like yeah. you can't, you're not gonna be able to watch Empire different or the no. same after knowing no. the Wampa's backstory and even the Tan Tan, like stuff like that. This this group just was a little bit a little bit less, but yeah, we got we definitely got some good stories and yeah, all of these are all of these are a little bit different in their own ways. But I think I think the theme from today's at least have been that they make you think about real world stuff as well, which is really nice sometimes to to see that in fiction and apply it to the real world and be like okay you know we're, we're gonna be okay <laughs> thanks yeah. thanks, yeah, thanks are good. so it's it's that theme of hope too especially obviously on the rebellion side but that theme of hope just always that through line from star wars is is very very comforting something that i something that i go back to a lot as well absolutely yes awesome well that wraps it up that is our discussion on the second fifth of these stories is <laughs> these are stories nine through 16. So it was a, a lot of fun. You're 40% through 40%. Yeah. Through. Almost there. But yeah, I, I really, I love these stories. I really, I've, I've enjoyed getting to dig into them a little bit more. I know at the first from certain point of view book, I need to go back and read it again because my reading comprehension and being able to remember certain things, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been a couple of years. I've read so many other books and watched so many other, you know, things and media since then that I've kind of forgot. But I think really digging into each of these stories has been a lot of fun for me because, you know, all of these, all of these authors are just so excited to write in the star Wars universe. And like, you go to their Absolutely. pages, just Absolutely. Like, I wrote a star war, you know, they're just so excited. And so I love being able to just see what all these different people came up with. So yeah. So Good times. But yeah, Brandon, thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate your time and thanks for thanks for coming on for part two of this series. Absolutely. It was so much fun, Travis. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Like I said, check out uh, episode 18 where me and Brandon talked a lot about his Star Wars story, his awesome collection of hats, which I'll, uh, I'll link to his Instagram in the show notes so everyone can check out all of the different hats, especially the 40th anniversary empire strikes back one back ones that he has as well but yeah brandon where can the people find you 
Yeah, so uh, you can find me online uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Blee Internets, B-L-E-E Internets, plural. And then uh, you can also find me on Instagram. You can find my hat account at Blee Brims. And, um, you know, every now and then on Force Time. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you're uh, you're definitely a recurring uh, guest host. So I appreciate you coming out. We'll have, to, we'll have to figure out what we want to do for our next episode for sure. So thanks a lot for joining us today. And you can find the show on Twitter at Force Time Pod. You can find us on Instagram at Force Time Pod. And you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, may the Force be with you.